Hello and welcome to this midweek edition of the Manchester United podcast, the off-script podcast with myself, Sir Parkinson, and his self, Sam Hutchison, who's wearing a beautiful... Is it, a, is it a shacket, similar to the one you wore the first day? I'd say it's a work shirt. A work shirt. Beautiful, Sam. Anyway, we weren't here last week. Um, many, many, many believe that we uh, we were cancelled. We weren't. <laughs> I was on holiday, and uh, Sam did try and ring me, but I was I was in the jacuzzi when he rang me, and I just said, sorry, Sam, I'm on holiday, mate. We're not podding today. I love the podcast, but we're not podding today. So Sam was very upset and uh, had a tantrum, didn't you? Yeah. Anyway. Just a small one. What have you been up to last week? Oh, I've actually had a busy week, which listeners will be surprised to hear. Um, I actually had a jam-packed weekend and lots of going out, seeing friends, lots of activities. It was very good fun. How how was your holiday, though? My holiday was amazing. By the way, are you that enthusiastic in front of your friends? Because that was you sound so monotone then. I had a great week. I went out with my friends. I did the... Oh, mate, that's just, that's just my voice, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, my holiday was great. Didn't go abroad. Stayed in the Great Yorkshire. Went up to Great Ayton and did a bit of Captain Cooking, which if you don't know, Captain Cook was from Great Ayton, the, the guy who sailed the Endeavour and mapped the world or mapped Australia anyway. <laughs> went to a couple of museums, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, the very I did the Gary Neville of holidays. We went to the Coal Mining Museum, uh, sorry, no, the Iron Mining Museum, which is called Land of Iron, which was good. And I also went to the Captain Cook Museum in Great Ayton, but there's also one in Whitby and uh, there's a statue of him somewhere in Australia because he's like known as the the guy who mapped, you know, the sort of uh, entrepreneur, I don't know what the word is, I can't think of the word, but uh, cartographer, that was it. Mm. Who uh, Anyway, before we digress and go into stuff that is not Man United related, Sam, what's the uh, what's the big news of the week? We've, we've obviously had the Manchester's Red podcast on Monday to dissect the weekend and talk about transfers and everything, and we're going to keep this to two parts. We're going to keep it short and sweet this week. Well, I'll try me. to at the very least, yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard when I'm here. But um, anyway, Sam, what's been going on since we had the Manchester's Red pod? What has happened? Uh, we've got news on Mount's injury, but the biggest story that's really dominated the headlines is still the Mason Greenwood story. Obviously, if you want to know any more about that, we have it available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you're listening to this on, and our YouTube channel as well, if you want to know the ins and outs of that story. But since then, it's been a Mount injury. Man United, as we are recording this tonight, they are playing a behind-closed-doors friendly against Burnley, which second Premier League opposition in a behind-closed-doors friendly in two weeks shows something about Eric Ten Hag at the very least. Apart from that, it hasn't really been a massively busy week. There's not been that many advancements on the news, but I'm sure we'll still find plenty to talk about. Oh, there is plenty to talk about, Sam. So Mason Mount's injured, right? Now, my opinion on Mason Mount is that he was not very good in pre-season, which you can let him off by because it's pre-season. He's come to a new club, new surroundings. I get it, fine, no problem. But then he started the season and looks just as bad. And he hasn't been great. He's been poor. And I, again, you, you're saying, oh, you're writing him off after two games. I'm not writing him off. I just think he's been poor. It's not like he's come from a different league. It's not like he's just come from a lower league, a lower lower team. I know Chelsea finished dead low last season, but he's a Champions League winner. He's not a, he's not a, a youngster. He's 24 years of age. He's an established first team player. A bit like sort of one matter when we signed him. It was just a transition from, from Chelsea to Manchester United. And I just don't think he's been very good to be honest with you. And him getting injured now sort of gives me the 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 expectation that a player can come in and, and try and fight for his place. And that player for me is Scott McTominay. I think Scott McTominay is one of them players that he's a, he's a, he's a bit like a Darren Fletcher. You can trust him. He's, he's you know, I'm, I know Darren Fletcher had that sort of bowel problem, but very rarely injured, always available, always ready to step in. You know, played in the big game. Scott McTominay's done that against. He scored against City. He scored. He scored in big games. He's, he's a he's a bruiser. He's a battler. He's a box to box player. And I just think that Mason Mount hasn't shown enough yet. And I, and I think that if Ten Hag's got anything about him, he'll drop him. I know he's injured, so he might he might have that excuse anyway. But he'll drop him and he'll he'll bring McTominay in a bit like what he did with Luke Shaw last season, where Malasia came in and he said fight for your place, and he did, and we got the best of Luke Shaw. And I think that he needs to. Put Mason Mount in, put Scott McTominay in for Mason Mount, and I think he needs to say, "There you go, he's took your place, Mason. Go and go and fight for it and get it back." What yeah. do you think? I mean, I'm a bit more disappointed that we're not going to see a bit more Mason Mount. I think 
in the first half, especially against Spurs, I actually thought he was quite good. Uh, off the ball, especially, his pressing's fantastic, you know. His his movement is actually really good. He's just not getting found by the... There's not that level of sort of communication that maybe he's used to at Chelsea. And there's not that reliance. Because at Chelsea, he was really their, their star man last season. He was... Well, not last season, the season before. And there's not that reliance on him anymore. He's playing a lot deeper than he was at Chelsea, obviously. I do think it's going to take a bit more time to get used to his new position as this sort of number eight in Eric Ten Hag midfield. I am sort of sad that he's got injured because I'd like to have seen Eric Ten Hag maybe rotate a little bit just anyway, just to see how it works with, say, Ericsson or McTominay, like you suggested, coming in. My choice would be Ericsson. I think it's more a like-for-like replacement and I do think Man United are they've got to get it right eventually there's got it there are on the right steps towards an improved performance because against Wolves it wasn't good enough and then against Spurs it was really shocking in all honesty so I would like to see what he would have done if Mount had have stayed fit but now he's not fit so we'll we'll not see that and I think Ericsson should probably come in I think he brings a lot more use to what Eric Tenag wants to be playing, especially against the weaker sides like Nottingham Forest. Yeah, Ericsson's tried and tested, but he's 31. He hasn't got the engine that he, he may have once had. And I think Scott McTominay, is he 24, 25? He's got that. And, he, he you know, again, against a team like Forest as well, who were expected to be sort of lower in the division. Scott McTominay can shine. You know, he's we know that he's not a Man United first team quality, first team yeah, first starter. team quality player. Yeah, starter. He's a great player, but to have on the bench, he's a great squad player. And I don't think any Man United fan will be happy to see him go. And I don't think, you know, in the sense of, oh, I'm glad we've got rid of him. He was useless. But I think that Scott McTominay definitely does have a place at Manchester United. And I think that that place is on the bench. And he is a ro- he's a good rotation player. You know, we're going to play in the, the EFL Cup, the Champions League, the FA Cup. And, you know, there's going to be around... 60 games to play this season to have a player like Scott McTominay who is readily available always fit you know he's he's rarely injured he can step in at a moment's notice he knows the Manchester United way he's come through the Manchester United Academy I think that, that having him in and around the team is good you know and he's, he's young as well he's a young he's a young player and I don't want to see him leave I wouldn't be annoyed if he left and I'd, I'd keep an eye on him wherever he went and just say look you know, if he if he went to a team, a club like Celtic or Rangers, he would be one of the best players in their team. If he went to uh, West Ham, which is where he was seeming to go, and that seems to have gone quiet now, would have been one of the best players in their team. But at United, because the expectations so high, then that th- that's why. And and if you look at Mason Mount's stats, you know he's he's, he's played two games, played 151 minutes. So yeah, um, I mean, look, I know, and I'm not going to be hide away from the fact that United needs to bring in another midfielder because Ericsson, if he gets injured, is our backup for Mason Mount. Scott McTominay, if he's on his way out because United needs to bring some money in, then that leaves us short. We've got Kobe Mainu. Everyone seems to have forgotten about him. He's injured, but obviously he's never played first team football properly. And I think that Eric Tenag was very disappointed that he got injured during pre-season, but... Is that going to be a sign of things to come with him? Is he going to be an injury pro midfielder? A bit like a... I don't want to say Paul Pogba, but basically Paul Pogba has, has all this talent and all this skill and all this ability, but just can't be consistently on the pitch. And I really hope Kobe Mainu comes back and I really hope he, he is the prized possession we all want him to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, Mason Mount, in a way, I sort of want to see him dropped, but I also want to see him dropped for the right reason. I want to see him dropped to motivate him, yeah. to motivate him to go, Okay, I've just transferred in here. I've been starting, putting in average performances, um, and I've lost my place now. I've lost my place to somebody who's been here, who's desperate to play, who's desperate to prove that he needs to stay at Manchester United. And you know, he's, I'd, I'd say Scott McTominay. I wouldn't say he was a fan favourite, but I think the fans like him, like his workhorse, and that he, he loves the club and everything. Um, and I think that he needs that bit of a kick up the backside. Eric Tenag seems to be the person to do that with a player. If a player needs dropping, like I referred to the Anthony skill when he did it last season, then he was dropped for the next game. He got taken straight off, didn't he? He got dragged off. Yeah, and, you know, Martinez got, got taken off at half-time against Wolves. They say that that was because he got booked, but he was also not having the best he of games. He also picked up a knock, apparently, but... I mean, they are, yeah. He I also mean, looked like he wanted to kill someone. So. <laughs> but I'm, I made that video just last week on um, 
Scott McTominay and why he should stay at Man United. And I do think he's got a role to play in the squad of, at the very least. I think he's a different profile of midfielder to anything else Man United have got. And I would like to see him sort of play a bit more of a major role, especially now Fred's gone. It looks like Donny van der Beek's going. I would like to see Scott McTominay really fill their roles a lot more. You know, it, last season Fred was coming on as that sort of option as the number eight. I would like to see Scott McTominay do that maybe. I mean, the the chances are those minutes are going to be limited because of the arrival of Mason Mount. But I do think Scott McTominay's got a role to play, at the very least this season, at Man United, really. Well, let's move on to Casemiro then, because he's he's been under a lot of scrutiny. He's won an £80 million signing last season from Real Madrid. A lot of expectation on it. He was brilliant last season, all intents and purposes. But this season, again, he looks a bit lost. He looks a bit swamped. He looks like... Whether it's the the manager doing a tactic to try and, you know, take the pressure off him, or it's what well, I don't know, I don't know, but it's not working. Whatever's happened, whether that's the Mason Mount role isn't working, as a result, it's having an adverse effect on Casemiro. That that's something that we're, we're only going to see develop over the season. But you know, United need to start thinking about the long term solution for him because yeah, we've only had him for a year. He's on a five year contract to be with United until he's thirty five on massive wages, and. You know, it's very rare that a player continues to get better when they go into their 30s. You have seen examples with like Ibrahimovic, Van Persie seem to get better as they get older. But I can't, you know, and I, I, I'd love to say Casemiro will, but I can't see it because, you know, if his legs go and he's a defensive midfielder that needs to do a lot of running to, you know, get into positions, he, he might struggle. And, you know, what are your thoughts on Casemiro and what do you think, you know, again, I, I don't need to sound like we are writing people off or getting getting you know, emergence. Like I saw somebody yesterday on Twitter was asking for the manager to be sacked and I'm just like, oh God, it's why? Yeah. Why would you do that? But yeah. No, I I have to disagree with you on Casemiro. I think Casemiro will be fine for the next five years in all honesty. I do, I do just think he's, he's never been reliant on stuff that might decrease as he gets older. Like his, his brain has always been his biggest power and, it, you know, he's a massive physical presence anyway. But that's, he's not going to lose that in the next five years, hopefully, fingers crossed. Barring any disasters, he's not going to lose that. I think Casemiro is probably going to be Man United's defensive midfielder for the next five years. It's finding a system as soon as possible that suits Casemiro's skill set. You know, he, he is one of the best defensive midfielders of his generation and he will be, will continue to be, whether that's this season you know if he has a really good season if he doesn't have a really good season he still will continue to be one of the best defensive midfielders of odd of this generation the problem there is is he working next to Mason Mount not really will he work next to Ericsson or McTominay this weekend we don't know we have to wait and see but I just I, I think we shouldn't jump at conclusions he was very isolated against Wolves he was sort of playing that role on his own which was Mount's fault basically Mount was going far too up far too up the pitch and getting far too involved in places that Bruno Fernandes should have been involved in where and that was leaving Casemiro very exposed and then obviously Mateus Cunha Wolves got it I think tactically right against Man United for a Wolves side that don't really have that much depth don't really have that many star men they played Mateus Cunha in this false nine and he was really running at Casemiro and that was Casemiro was left on his own trying to deal with a lot of midfielders that were bombing on and then Cunha playing as this false nine sort of second striker role and bombing on as well and whoever was playing left wing name escapes me now Pedro Neto was also coming in and cutting cutting in off that left and he was running at Casemiro as well Casemiro had a really tough job against Wolves to do it all on his own, especially first game of the season back. And, you know, there's signs that Eric Ten Hag's not happy with the squad fitness, not happy with the readiness to play games in and out like the Premier League is going to be. And, I mean, I would I would give Casemiro a little bit of a, a longer leash to be able to get himself out of this form. I think if anyone in the squad can do it, it's probably Casemiro. Yeah, and the only, the only issue with him is he seems to be getting overwhelmed in the midfield by the opposition. Wolves got battered 4-1 after the, you know, 
other than on paper, they battered United, let's be honest. They battered us um, in that game. And I, I, I think I tweeted saying... Wolves won't put in a performance like that again all season, and the, the proof was in the very next game where they, they were four nil down, and then they got they got um, a consolation goal towards the end. And, and I sort of laughed when I saw they were four nil down. Was it Brighton they played? Yeah. So they were four nil down. And look, Brighton no Brighton no mugs, no pushovers, but if Brighton can put four past Wolves, why can't United? And and it brings me on to the attack. We've got um, we've got a real problem in attack, haven't we, Sam? And you know, we could have been sat here after two wins. We could have beat Spurs and we could have beat Wolves and I'd still be saying the same thing. You know, unless Rashford scored five goals and Jadon Sancho scored three, I'd still be saying the same thing. Anthony looks poor. He, yeah. he looks awful. Yeah. And he's probably the worst player we've had on the pitch this season. Again, only two games in, but I'm I'm just saying it as it is. He's been he's been awful. He's he's been masked by some wins and some couple of goals he scored last season that have mastered an average or below average performance. Um, he hasn't really got any composition on that right wing no. because Jadon Sancho has also been terrible. Um, Rashford's been playing up front and Garnacho's a left winger. You've got Palestri coming through who I don't think he's ever started a game, first team game for United com competitively. I could be wrong there. Oh, no, I think he started against Real Betis. So he started one and that was a game that we were 4-1 up, I think, on, yeah, on second, anyway. second leg against Real Betis, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think they were saying on the Monday pod that he's actually at risk of not being included in United's squad yeah. because because um, he's over 21 now. He's not under that threshold anymore and the, there are players ahead of him in the pecking order and, and Ahmad as well. Ahmad's yeah, another one. Ahmad's going to come back from injury, but... Will he stay? Will he go? I mean, I think you want him back at Sunderland, but you know he's he's still a player that's got to prove himself. You know, Eric Tenag has got these players coming back like Kobe Mainu and um, Ahmad, but both of them are injured, so he his hands are tied in a way. So he's now got to play. And, and, and look, uh, Anthony was a hundred million euro player, and as Samuel said on Monday, the only manager that would have looked to buy Anthony last summer was Eric Tenag because he was his former manager. And having seen him at Man United, I, I, it's hard to disagree with that. He's just not been very good. Samuel gave him a three against Spurs. He's had two casual on the ball again. He had plenty of it. Struck the post shortly after Spurs went 1-0 up. And that is endemic of this 100 million euro work in progress three. Um, but then who, who do you replace him with? Because there isn't, there isn't, there isn't really you, anybody. Do you give Jadon Sancho a chance on the right? You've got to, haven't you? I mean, Jadon Sancho was signed as a right winger. Why I don't know why his position hasn't been on the right wing. At Borussia Dortmund, he was a right winger. At Man United, he just hasn't been at all. He's been a left winger the entire time. And I don't even think he'd make the England squad now because why would he? You know, he's, He'd really regressed from when United bought him. And that's a real shame because there was all that potential. There was all that ability on the right wing. You know, would Eric Ten Hag have even gone for Anthony last season had Jadon Sancho actually had a decent season at Manchester United, actually showed some of the quality that we know he has. We just don't see. And that's... I do think this is the make-or-break season for Sancho. You know, if he doesn't have another good season, if he doesn't have a good season this year, that'll be another write-off of a season. You know, last season he, he spent time in the Netherlands with coaches suggested by Eric Ten Hag to try and get himself back into form. That was meant he was unavailable for, what was it, about two and a half months? Three months. We can't be seeing that every year, especially at Manchester United. You know, you need it all season long. And I don't want to see the same with Anthony. You, I mean, I know I watched the Eredivisie more than you did when Anthony was there. And I do, I was impressed by Anthony, especially in the sort of Champions League games. He would really take it to defenders. I don't know where his pace has gone because the pace that he showed, he used to run at defenders, he'd run at left backs, he'd really cause issues. And they wouldn't know which way he was going. He'd cut inside on his left. He'd put a decent cross in. He doesn't cross anymore. He doesn't seem to sprint at left backs. He doesn't seem to beat his man very often. I'm not sure where it's quite gone wrong with Anthony in these first few games. And this might be a little bit reactionary. You know, he's had a two get poor games in a row. He might come out against Forrest and score a hat-trick. But is we that going to mask the... the mediocre med mediocrity of him in the past 12 months probably not but there's only he can only go up as an as an 85 million pound player he can only go up from here really we thought that about Maguire and look where he is well yeah yeah but now Maguire can only go up as well I suppose <laughs>
Well, what what do you think about the attack? Rashford has to be put on the left wing. That's where he plays. But Rashford wants to play on the left. He said it in that, the overlap with Gary Neville. He wants to play on the left. But Garnacho's that good. You can't drop Garnacho for Rashford and then not have a striker. So you, you expect that when Hoyland's... Everyone keeps saying Hoyland comes back. Hoyland yeah, has never been. He no, he's never been yet. Everyone no, says when he comes back. When Hoyland comes back, I'm like, he's never played for Man United yet. How could he come back? When, when Hoyland you know, is available when Hoyland is fit. The expectation of him is going to be, oh, he's fixed now. He's going to come in and score the goals. Martial came off the bench against Spurs. I don't think he featured against Wolves, did he? And I mean, he was, it was, it was a typical Martial cameo. He looks, he looked fast. He looked exciting. He looked like he was linking up the play and, and that was it. And then did nothing. Still. He did nothing. Yeah. Comes you to know, no result. Comes to no result. But, you know, we want, we want to see Rashford on the left, which is where he wants to play. But I also don't want to see Rashford on the left if we've, if that means we've got nobody up front. So, But then I don't think Garnacho's been particularly fantastic in the first two games either. I don't think that's particularly worked, him starting on the left wing. There's just, there's a lot of holes that need to be filled and I feel like that's really piling pressure on Hoyland. Hoyland comes back, he's going to have to do a lot of jobs to sort of fix this this team and he can't do them all himself. He's going to still need some help. You know, Rashford will go back out to his preferred position. We're more likely to see Bruno Fernandes making those runs that he usually makes, bombing on past past the striker. But it's it's a lot of issues all coming at the same time. And I don't think you can put enough pressure on Hoyland to, to fix all of them at once. He's not that sort of player. Well, we don't know yet. We've not seen him play for United, so we don't know what, we don't know how he's going to be. You know, a lot a lot of Man United reporters, journalists, fans would 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 say without without worry that we've never seen him play. And, you know, nobody's gone out there and watched Denmark games. Nobody's gone and watched Atlanta games. Other than people going on YouTube and watching the highlights, the best bits of him. You know, we don't really know that much about him. And, you know, he's joined, he's joined us now. He may he may be training now and he may be building up his fitness. We, we might see him against Royce. He might be playing in that behind closed doors game today against Burnley uh, as we record. But we don't, until then, we don't know. And, and, we the the worse United play, the more expectation there is on his shoulders when he comes because it's going to be we, you can sort of predict the starting eleven or the, the front six when he um, when he joins it'll be Holland up front, Anthony on the right, Rashford on the left, Casemiro, um, Mount and Fernandez behind him would be well that would what it would be on paper yeah we don't know if that will work because like we've just complained for what twenty three minutes about Anthony Mount. You know, is Hoyland ready to come in and do that job himself? Is Fernandez because Fernandez against Spurs was poor, really poor. Got himself booked, silly booking. Oh, exactly. But I mean, it's yes, just... he should be allowed to speak to the ref. I get that, but it's yeah. the way. I think it's just the, the, the way he does it. And as the captain, yeah, he should be able to speak to the ref. But I think he just gets so emotional. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing. We we don't know how it's all going to work as a six. There's still two new signings to come in and play in in this front six, is it going to work straight away? Probably not. So we, we shouldn't put the pressure on Hoyland to come in and fix United's season or fix the Eric Ten Hag way of playing. He is, he is a striker. He probably will help out and he will look a lot better with him there as the sort of target for Man United's attacks. I don't think he's that. He's not the miracle worker that Man United fans are seeming to build, build him up to be. Well, we're hoping, yes, hoping he is because exactly. he. Look, you can't get worse than Anthony Martial. We cannot physically, and if 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 Eric Ten Hag has managed to bring a player in that is worse than Martial, then I'll well, applaud. Wegerhorst wants a word. <laughs> I forgot about him. Yeah, wow. I've given PTSD now. Um, yeah. Anyway, Sam, let's round off the uh, the squad chat. Defense, defense has been the defense has been. I've, good. I've been impressed. Onana really impressed me. I I knew how good he was beforehand but I'd not really focused on him ever before he's been really impressive he's some of the passes that he pulls off are fantastic he looks so confident he looks calm he looks composed and it, man United fans you have grown up with David De Gea you know these goalkeepers who will hit it every time they get it they'll hit it long Onana looks so comfortable I, I can't wait for him to do his first Cruyff turn on the edge of his own box at Old Trafford and the whole stadium will go ooh and it'll be brilliant <laughs> Sam I just want to interrupt you you're too young for this you never watched Fabian Bartes at Manchester United if you think you've seen it all with Onana 
you want to go on Google on, on YouTube and watch Fabian Barthez's best stroke, worst moments. Fabian Barthez would would literally run to the edge of his area with the ball, roll out in front of him and run, dribble the ball to the halfway line and then hoof it. He sounds like my sort of player. Well, God, the, the, the banter here. I, I actually forget that we had Barthez. It just it was utterly bizarre because after United got rid of well not got rid of after Peter Schmeichel left Man United there was a massive gap to fill. Yeah, yeah. United went through so many goalkeepers. You had Fabian Barthez, Raymond van uh, was it Raymond van der Howe? He was the the backup to Schmeichel. You had um, Tim Howard, Roy Carroll, the Taibbi. That's the one I was thinking of. Massimo Taibbi, the one he laid through his legs against. Spurs, I think it was. I can't remember. Oh, was it Southampton? I can't remember. A, a memory I don't want to keep anyway. I think Roy Carroll was the one who, when Spurs took a shot from the yeah, halfway Roy line. Roy Carroll was the one who scooped it back over his own line, yeah. And the goal didn't count. Yeah. God, it was so far in. It was like Lampard in the um, in the World so Cup. It's about three foot into the net. I mean, it was so far in, it was basically in the stands, yeah. you know. <laughs> but no, you're saying the defence has been good. I think the defence has been masked by Onana. I think, I think Aaron Wambsack has been good. I think he looks like he's actually developed from when Eric Ten Hag's come in, which is what everyone wanted to see from uh, Wambsacker. I think Varane looks okay again. I think Martinez, he looks angry, but he always looks a bit angry. So we we know Martinez is good. Like, you know, it's not it's it's easy to look good in a really good side. It's much harder to look fantastic in the bad side and if you're not doing if you're just getting hit by attack after attack after attack Martinez is going to get a load of pressure You're gonna he's going to make a couple of mistakes I do think all in all the defence has been pretty good and this looks like it should be Eric Ten Hag's first choice defence for the entire season I hope it is because it has worked you know Wan-Bissaka has probably been Man United's best outfield player so far especially in the Premier League and I, I do. I have been impressed by Wamsaka. I've been impressed by Onana. You know, Varane, Martinez, and Shaw haven't done anything to offend me, like the rest of the team have. But I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm quietly confident that Man United's defence will be just fine. Well, I, I have such high expectations of Luke Shaw, and I think he's been the worst of the four. And I think that that, in, in a way, it's like a positive because I know how good Luke Shaw can be. And he, he's one of them players that seems to have a slow start every season. Apart from the season where he broke his ankle, when he when he was absolutely sensational up up until that point. Um, I say broke his ankle, was it his leg? I remember seeing it on a screen. Oh, it was awful to watch. Um, but yeah, I think I think he's one of them players that he needs. I think Luke Shaw sort of needs a kick up the backside to get himself going. And well, the, the squad depth isn't massive either. Like the, the, the talk is, and we're going to talk about this in part two, is that Brandon Williams is on his way out, and he, a deal has been agreed for him, or, or close to being agreed for him. And he's a sort of good utility player because he can play left and right back. So you've got if you know if Wan Bissaka gets injured and Dallow goes in, or, or you put Dallow left back or whatever, and you know Brandon Williams was there to 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 mop up, and you know not not one of the greatest footballers ever, but but a good utility. I don't think he, I don't think he played a minute last season though. So well, there's obviously you know on a, for that. on a personal level, fine. Yeah, you know this is probably the right time for him to move on, yeah. if a, even a little bit late maybe. But on a, for Man United, they should ha really have two players who can come into the first team squad in every position, and that's not really what they've got at the minute. I mean, we're going to come into this in part two. I'm guessing that we're going to be get, coming into, you know, who is these players that can come in and improve this squad depth because there has to be a first and a second team if if those interchange that's fine there has to be a clear first choice and a clear second choice for each position on the pitch and Man United just don't have that even with this bloated squad that they've already got yeah well Ten Hag likes to bring in players or turn players into you know multiple positional players like you saw Luke Shaw playing centre half last season he's left footed left footed centre half is what Ten Hag wants and he's, you know, seems to be above Maguire in the pecking order in that position at the minute, which is sort of, does that say a lot about Maguire or does that just say that Ten Hag's got a system and he doesn't want to change it? You know, it's open to interpretation. But um, before we move on to part two, Sam, uh, I'm going to introduce Rich Faye, who is covering Manchester United versus Burnley behind the closed doors. Rich was also covering Manchester United versus Everton last week. He's going to tell us all about why Manchester United are playing behind closed doors games during the week at Old Trafford. Manchester United will face Burnley in a behind-closed-doors friendly match 
on Wednesday afternoon. It will be the second time United have faced Premier League opposition in a friendly match this month. Of course, Eric Ten Hag's side defeated Everton at their Carrington training base a week ago. That game was 2-0, an own goal and a strike from, Stock, from Scott McTominay, sorry, giving United the win in that training match. Of course, the results don't really matter too much. These are all just exercises to get United players up to speed and to work on match sharpness. And we understand that is the same as well with this Burnley match taking place in midweek. It's not a case of Eric Ten Hag playing his first team as all those who started against Tottenham at the weekend. But it's more of a case of getting other players up to speed, particularly those ones who haven't started in either of United's opening two matches of this new season so far. If you take a look back at that win over Everton last week, Anthony Marshall made his first appearance in 79 days. He then, of course, featured from the bench at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at the weekend. So you could expect Anthony Marshall to, to feature again. Of course, United still have this problem up, up front and in attack where they need to try and, and, and find a solution, really, because obviously they've been lacking a central striker for, for years now, someone who offers that main focal point in attack. They've signed Rasmus Hoyland. Be interesting to see if he if he's involved at all in this Burnley game. Of course, he's coming back from his own minor back issue. He's not featured at all since he signed for United. The Arsenal game a week on Sunday had been penciled in as a date for a potential first appearance from him, either off the bench or from the start. There's no indication he'll feature against Burnley. We will try and find out that information for you. And of course, you can keep following us on the Manchester Evening News website in the coming hours and the coming days to see if Erasmus Hoyland was involved against Burnley. If he's fit and his rehabilitation is going well, then it would make sense. If not, then there's absolutely no point risking him. But as we said, Marshall's involvement or possible involvement would be interesting just because United's forward line hasn't clicked at all. Marcus Rashford as we all know, is far better on the left. He's not very good with his back to goal, doesn't offer what you'd want from a, a main sort of centre forward. That's not to say he's a, he's a poor striker by any means, but he's not a centre forward. Anthony's been really poor in the first two matches and Garnacho looks like a raw teenager. You know, he's fantastic and has a lot to offer, but maybe not quite from the start so far. So we could see Marshall get a run out against Burnley with a view to to him starting or being certainly more involved against Nottingham Forest this weekend. And the same too of Christian Eriksen. Uh, he featured from the bench against former club Tottenham at the weekend. Mason Mount is injured, will miss the Forest and Arsenal matches. It means that it will make a change in midfield. And Eriksen seems the most logical, certainly for the Forest game. Maybe a bit of a risk to play him against Arsenal at the Emirates, but we'll wait and see. So it makes sense for Marshall and Eriksen both to feature against Burnley so too the other players who featured against Everton Scott McTominay as we said scored a goal Harry Maguire Donny van der Beek Hannibal Medjbury expect all of them to get minutes against Burnley in midweek interestingly enough Hannibal Isaac Hansen Arun Amari Forson and Mark Gerrardo weren't involved in the under 21 penalty shootout win over Stockport County in the Papa John's Trophy match on Tuesday night. Those four academy graduates all rested with a view to them getting minutes against Burnley, against Premier League opposition uh, this midweek. Dan Gore, he featured against Everton last week, but he captained the under-21s in that Stockport victory. So maybe we don't expect him to start the game. He could feature from the bench. But as we said, this will be a mixture of players who are on the periphery, on the fringes, lacking first-team fitness right now and those young hopefuls who need the challenge of playing against fellow professionals and, you know, getting them a, a real time and as close to meaningful minutes as, as possible, really. You know, you could argue that playing at Burnley behind closed doors will be a footballing education that they just won't get really in, in the under-21s. OK, Stockport may be an exception to that, but yeah, certainly going to be an interesting uh, United side, a lot of experience it as well. We say, and use the term sort of reservedly, I mean, they might be out of favour at United right now, but McTominay, Maguire and Van der Beek, all, you know, players who have played for their countries, who've all been highly rated in the past as well. Hannibal, a player who could leave on loan, potentially, you know, this summer. He played at the World Cup for Tunisia, you know. So United do have strength and depth. And that's what it's all about. I was asked for my prediction as well. 
the fact United beat Everton in a similar game last week indicates to me that you know they'll take it seriously again. You'd make them probably favourites to win just because they have got so much strength and depth. I'm not going to go out and say a scoreline. It doesn't really matter. It's all about match fitness, but I think United certainly would be hoping for a win. That'll be the bonus, but it's all about building fitness now. Hopefully we'll be able to bring you some details of what happened in the game in the coming hours, in the coming days. You can follow us on the Manchester Evening's website for all the updates. And we're back, part two, Sam. We're back, we're back in, we're back in business. And in part two, we're going to talk about the Stockport game against uh, for the under-21s last night, as we're recording, it was on Tuesday night. And we're going to do a bit of chat about takeover. And then we're going to get into all the transfer gossip, which is our favourite bit of the show, of course. So Sam, without further ado, Manchester United 1-1 against Stockport, the under-21s in the, was it the Papa John? Yes. Drew one all. United conceded at the death a penalty, which then resulted in the game going to penalties. So uh, just talk us through it. So if you don't know, the uh, Papa John's trophy has a system in the group stage where if you draw the game, you go to penalties for an extra point. So... It, it's basically a way of getting a winner from a draw. And Man United's under-21s came out victorious over a Stockport team that, you know, they wouldn't have fought. The trend in the Papa John's Trophy has always been, since under-21s teams were introduced, the trend has always been that a senior team still wins it every year. It's it's strange to see under twenty one sides actually do well. And, you know... If, if anyone's going to do well, it'll be one of the big clubs as academies under 21 sides. But I, it's 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 a good result. It's a good result all round. You know, it'll apart from the obviously goal at the death. Stephen Railston was your man covering the under 21. So if you do want to see a bit more in depth analysis on the under 21s game, I want to say victory, but the the result against Stockport. Head over to Stephen Railston's Twitter account at Stephen Railston. He's uh, live tweeted it and got some nice videos and pictures on there. But Sam, I just want to mention about Mary Earp. She's um, she's spoken out after Nike released a statement. It was a pretty bland statement. It was a pretty pretty terrible statement. But she um, the, the story is, for anybody that doesn't know, is when the England women's team were at the World Cup, you could buy a lot of the replica shirts with the players' names on, but you couldn't buy the goalkeeper shirt, Mary Earp's. And Nike are sort of suggesting that commercially it wouldn't have been a success for them it would have been wouldn't have been worthwhile doing but then Mary Earps has gone on to become the golden glove winner she was outstanding in the world cup she's you know a lot of a lot of fans male and female have been shouting about her saying look I want to I want a Mary Earps shirt where can I get one Nike have released a statement and Mary Earps has basically rubbished that statement with a post on her social channel saying is that your way of an apology and uh, there was a petition for uh, for Nike to release that shirt which has got several thousand signatures on it but um, yeah, look, Mary Earps, I, 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 she's going to be a great in Manchester United history. She's going to be the female Peter Schmeichel, essentially, the way it's going. And do you know what? If there was ever a football player that could play in a crossover team, I would have Mary Earps in goal at Manchester United as a crossover, as a men's team, women's yeah. team, whatever, if, if, if it was possible. Because I was... Uh, Lucy Bronze was doing like a, an interview with BBC Sport or ITV Sport uh, ahead of the final and she was saying that she used to play with her brother when she was younger and before the, the, the idea of, oh, men's team only and women's team, I think it's at age 11, football teams, you you then, you, women can't play anymore, girls can't play anymore. I think that might may have changed now, but um, certainly when I was younger, that was the case and when obviously when she was younger. And she was basically saying that I used to play with my brother and his friends and they didn't look at me as a girl. They just looked at me as a good player. And I remember when I was at school, there was a girl that used to play with all the lads playing football and she she was better than most of us. And nobody looked at her as a girl playing with the boys. It was just, we were all playing football. And I think, not that it'll probably ever happen, but, you know, like in tennis, you have mixed doubles. It'd be brilliant if they, if they, ever, if they ever decided to do uh, mixed. Exhibition game. Yeah, well, they do soccer aid, don't they, actually? Yeah, soccer aid. So, you know... Mary Earps would put a lot of male goalkeepers to shame. She's she's that good, you know. She's 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 incredible. I, I'll, I'll go as far to say she's utterly utterly world class. What are your thoughts? I I don't, wouldn't know enough about women's football to be able to say she was world class, but she was really impressive at the World Cup. You know, it's the first real 
extended exposure to women's football I've had. And I was really, really impressed by the entire England squad, you know, missing a couple of the best players, a couple of suspensions to other best players. Mary Oates was really impressive. I was really impressed by the entire squad, really. And it's just a shame it didn't result in the trophy coming home, really. No, we we definitely were. But but as an England fan, a football fan over the years, we knew that trophy was never coming home, didn't we? We 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 know not to get too ahead of ourselves. We 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 plan for the worst and we expect it, and then we usually get it. So absolutely never say that we didn't win the competition. But you know, I don't think anybody really watching it thought. And then this is from a pessimistic England football fan here. Not not nothing to do with the the women's team. I mean, Spain are incredible, but they had their own problems as well. But um, b- before the before the tournament began, um, there was a there was a video that went viral. An advert, I think it was Orange that did the advert uh, on behalf of the French women's national team. And what they did was they digitally altered, yes, the players. So they put Mbappe, Mbappe's head and his shirt on on this on this character, and then they did the same with Griezmann. And what they did was they played this footage out and it showed these incredible goals and this incredible play. And it said, you know, men, French foot, French men's football is brilliant, isn't it? But did you know you've just been watching the the women's team? And then they they it it, it rolled back and recapped and showed. Actually, look, this, they, they took the digital, you know, additions off and replayed the clip. And it was like, wow. And it's like, you know, the prejudice against women's football being aligned with men's. Well, it... it, it it showcased it and basically said, look, you've just been watching women's football. How fantastic it was. It's just as good as the men's. And I think over the next, we said this on one of the earlier episodes, over the next 10 years, the women's game is going to evolve that much that, you know, kids now, like my daughter, six years old, she's going to be watching that. If she wants to become a football, she can now look at it and go, well, I can become a football. I want to be a lioness. And I think over the next 10, 15, 20 years, that game is going to absolutely snowball. And it won't be long before women's football is is no longer being contested as why are they not being paid the same, blah, 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 because the commercial aspect will be there and 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 it will happen. Um but yeah, I just I just wanted to give a shout out to the to Mary Earps and the women's team and and you know I'm a I sort of like to delve into women's football now and again because I have a daughter and she likes football and the culture of men's football. I'm not I'm not not too sure. Maybe I'm just being a bit bit wet, bit bit of a wet lettuce, not wanting to uh, get involved in the culture of men's football, not necessarily the game, but the back and women's football is a lot more, as in, again, as a culture is a lot more welcoming and maybe I'd be more comfortable taking my daughter to see that rather than yeah. her hearing all these um, awful chants that you get in the men's game. But I digress, Sam, I digress. What's the latest with the takeover? I've got no link. I've got no way of linking nicely to that. What is the latest with the takeover? What do we know? Uh, basically, we've seen reports that Sheikh Jassim is ready to take over. October looks like a date that's been banded around. We've seen loads of reports about it. it whether they're true or not, we don't really know. It's it's dragging on. We're used to it dragging on. I'm sure all the Man United fans listening at home are sick and tired of seeing stories, oh, it's nearly done, or it's going to be done, or it'll be done this week, it'll be done next week, whatever. It'll be done in a couple of months. It's It's taken so long now. I, we don't know where the stories are coming from. We don't know how true they are. We just want something to happen that we can concrete say with actual concrete evidence. This is how it's going. This is what it's done. Or isn't. Yeah. It either is or it isn't. Yeah. Well, that is that it? Is that all we know? Is that, is that the latest? Cool. Right. Well, let's move on to my favorite bit of the podcast, the show. It's Seven Sam's Transfer Talk. Ding, ding, ding. Perfect. That would be, be great, that. <laughs> right, who is Alte Bayendir and why is he coming to United? Fenerbahce's captain, goalkeeper. Man United need a second-choice goalkeeper. And Fenerbahce have just signed, or they're on the verge of signing, Dominic Lovakovic, who you might remember from the World Cup, Croatia's goalkeeper, who basically was linked to everybody, then didn't make a move, is still at Dynamo Zagreb, is going to Fenerbahce. And Man United are going for Alte Ben. Altai Bayendia, I'm going to go for. And he is 25 years old, goalkeeper from Fenerbahce. He was their captain last season. I don't know much about him. Don't watch much of the Super League. I would say, okay, fine. He's cheap enough. Looks like he's coming in. A release clause, which I've seen five, I've seen seven million pounds. Okay, 
Man United needs a second choice if Dean Henderson is to leave. Looks like Dean Henderson is going to leave. He doesn't look like he's in Eric Ten Hag's plans. You know, we've seen Crystal Palace linked. We've seen Nottingham Forest continue to be linked. Forest have signed a goalkeeper. Palace of Palace's goalkeeper in Vicente Gaeta has fallen out with Roy Hodgson. Isn't getting picked. Sam Johnson's now their first choice goalkeeper. Dean Henderson's in for a lot of interest. Looks like he will leave. It doesn't look like he's in any of Eric Ten Hag's plans, really. He's not really given any minutes so far this since he returned from his loan. And, you know, Man United are going to need a second choice. Tom Heaton's injured at current. He will be. He won't be injured for the entire season. He should be coming back shortly. Yeah, fine. You know, Man United have been linked to a couple of goalkeepers this week. Odysseus Vlakodimos from Benfica as well. Man United are now apparently not in for him. And that's opened the door for Altai Bay India. Let's talk about the midfield then, Sam. Uh, United, uh, I've got a video that will be out this evening at six o'clock where I am championing the idea of Ryan Gravenberch coming in. Um, One thing I didn't look at when I was doing that video, Sam, is the salaries that these two players are on. So Amrabat's what, is he 27 centre? Is yeah, he 27, 27 defensive, defensive midfielder? midfielder. A a walk straight into the team type player. The problem the problem with having a player that's going to walk straight into the team like a like an Amrabat is he then has to replace somebody. Yeah. And if he, he's not going to want to come to United and sit on the bench. At 27, he's in he's, he's coming into his peak years. He's a Moroccan international. He's the captain, I believe. I think he's the captain. If he's not the captain, I apologise. I think he's, he's he's certainly one of the most senior players in that Moroccan team. Got all the way to to the the, the very close to the of, end, yeah, yeah, the semi-finals yeah. of the uh, the World Cup. You know, the shock, the shock team. Um, you know, born in Netherlands, could have played for the <laughs> could have played for the Netherlands, could have played under Eric Ten Hag. He played did, under, did under, play under Eric Ten Hag. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's on. According to FB Ref, he's on thirty, just shy of thirty-seven thousand euros a week, yes. which is what 34, 33, 34k, thirty-four, thirty-three, thirty-four k, thirty k. Let's say thirty k, just thirty-two k pounds or whatever. Yeah. And then you look at Ryan Gravenberch, who again, according to FB Ref, is on a hundred and seventy-six thousand nine hundred twenty-three euros. So just shy of one hundred and seventy-seven thousand euros. This is probably a what one hundred and sixty-five. Thousand pounds. Oh God. Oh dear. Oh dear. The the, the fire alarms have gone off, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back in a minute when the fire alarms gone off. What a disaster! Right, we're back. We're alive. There was no fire. It was just a fire test. So we're going to pick up where we left off. It's been about ten minutes. We've been wandering around the building looking for somebody that knows, and nobody seems to have any idea. So we've come back. We're not burned. So we're not burned. All right. We're okay. And I'm glad that all you listeners have been worried sick about us. And I, we appreciate the In thought. the five seconds since we last spoke to you. <laughs> well, in the edit, it'll yeah. only be five seconds, won't it? Anyway, we were talking about Graven Birch and Amrabat's salaries. Now, it's likely when either of them comes to United, they're going to be on a big salary anyway. I mean, I don't think any player joins United and isn't on a big salary. So you would imagine if Amrabat comes to United, that €36,000 or whatever it was he's on will be around £90,000. You know, I mean, that, that's probably quite low as well in, on the salary band. Graven Birch, though, he's 21. He's going to come to United. He's going to want a pay rise or, or, or at least the same pay. So can United afford to bring a player in who's not going to be a starter on that salary? And then the other the other question is, knowing that Amrabat's a lot cheaper, would it be better to bring him in and say, right, we're going to pay you a massive inflated salary from what you're on, but you are going to be our bench player unless Mount gets injured or Casemiro gets injured or, or whatever? You know, if somebody said to me, we'll pay you more to play less, I'd probably be like, well, I want to play more, but if you're going to triple my salary or whatever, I could probably I could probably tolerate, you know, 30 games a season and 20 off the bench or whatever, you know, tw- 12, 20 starts. Well, in and- your video, you're a, you're a Gravenberch, you're a angling for the Gravenberch angle, aren't you? You're yeah, but bigger, let, let me explain why. Go though. on. Because Gravenberch is younger. He's a lot more diverse in positioning-wise. He can play central midfield, he can play defensive midfield, he can play left midfield, he can probably play right midfield a little bit, attacking midfield. Obviously, his key position will be central midfield and with a bit of defensive midfield. He's a lot more attacking than 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 um, Amrabat is. He's got a lot more life left in him than, than Amrabat will be at the top level. You know, I think his ceiling is a lot higher yeah. than, than Amrabat's ceiling. You know, Amrabat's playing at um, Fiorentina now, and I think that that's he's twenty seven. He's at Fiorentina. I think if he was that good, 
he would have been noticed a lot sooner. I think because they did so well at the World Cup with Morocco that his profile was enhanced. I think, don't get me wrong, he's a brilliant player. Yeah, he had a good season last season. I don't think he's a starter for Man United, though. Whereas I look at Graven Birch and think, he's not a starter for Man United either. But well, he could be in a couple of years' time. Exactly. When 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 Casemiro's getting a bit older, or Ericsson's, Ericsson's 31 as well, he's not going to be around for that much longer. Graven Birch is a ready-made, he's, he is the long-term replacement for, for, for one of these players. So you've got Mason Mount at 24, you've got Fernandes, what, 27, 28, and then you bring a Graven Birch in, you either keep McTominay or you get rid of McTominay, but we're probably going to lose um, Donny van der Beek. So he's, what, 25, is he, something like that, 25? So you want to bring in a player that's that's as good as him, which I'm, I'm, I would say Graven Birch is, is as good as him now. He's four years younger than him. He's got four years of progression. He's got four years to mould himself to the United way before he's actually in his core years, and that's before he even hits his peak years. Whereas you're bringing an Amrabat in now, 27 is not by any stretch old, but I don't think Amrabat's going to get any better. And I think that if he comes to United, he would be that replace, you know, that sort of backup to Casemiro. And it'd be a very good backup to Casemiro. I mean, don't worry, I'd like to see both of them come in because they've both got their qualities and their, their prowess. That would take probably a couple more sales than a reasonably... Well, if Henderson goes and Don, Van der Beek goes, you get 50 to 60 million quid. Yeah, you still need... You'd probably need a couple more... McTominay and maybe Maguire as well, but then you need then you're weak in defence. I guess so because I guess if they're trying to fund the the transfers they've just brought in with the transfers that they're going out, and then you want to bring another one in, I get it. And and I and I guess the the, the owners would look at Ten Hag and go, "Hang on a minute, mate, you've brought in Mason Mount at fifty five million quid. We're not then giving you another two central midfielders. You've got one. We'll bring you one more in. You know, especially with the sales that we've got. So I'm going to throw it back on you, Sam." Graven Birch or Amrabat? Amrabat for me. I think he's more what Man United need. I think he'll play more minutes. I think he's more ready uh, ready to come straight in, slot straight into the squad. I think he he seems to have been banded together with Casemiro. He's not the same sort of player. Amrabat's a real fantastic passer of the ball. I think he'll... He could realistically play next to Casemiro. They're not too similar to be able to play next to each other. So I do think that that would work as a midfield, as a functioning midfield at the very least. Gravenberg, I'm not sure he's got the ability that he once promised. You know, at Ajax, he was really a, a key part of a really good side, especially under Eric Ten Hag. He went to Bayern Munich. It's not really worked out for him. Is he ready to jump ship straight away? Like, I just, I'm not sure going for Gravenberg right now is the right move. I think Gravenberg, if he's going to make a move, needs to go to someone who's going to play him week in, week out. And Brighton. that's not Manchester United. Well, yeah, you're looking at, there's plenty of teams around Europe, however many of them can compete with his wages, is the issue there for Gravenberg. You know, he hasn't really limited himself. He's in the top club in Germany. He's probably limiting himself to one of the top clubs in the rest of Europe just on his wages alone and, you know, his potential that he's shown at Ajax and previously in his career. I do, I just, I have doubts about, I have more doubts about Gravenberg than I do about Amrabat. I think Amrabat could come in even if he doesn't play that much. He could play alongside Casemiro. He could play as a replacement for Casemiro. I, I'm a bigger fan of the Amrabat move than I am of a possible move for Gravenberg. It's a good argument, and and I'm not I'm not here to say you are wrong. I am right. I'm actually happy for you to. I'm actually happy to say. Do you know what, Sam? I've listened to what you've said, and I've changed my mind. You know, and and, and I'm not here to to say it's not against me against you. And whilst I would like to see Gravenberg come to Man United, I don't disagree with anything you've just said, and and, and I think that Amrabat probably would having listened to what you've just said, probably would fit the bill a bit better than Grovenberg. The way I'm looking at it is there's a sort of long-term yeah. idea and that United have done this such short-termism over the past 10 years that I'm looking at this Grovenberg kid and going, he's a good long-term solution. And if United can make him into the player that Ten Hag probably tried to make him into and he was at Ajax, then we've, we've got, a, we've got, a, we've got a, a gem on our hands. And 
you know, United got Sabitzer from Bayern Munich in, in January. He came to United, he did well. You know, yeah. a, a cast off of Bayern Munich is a starter for Man United these days. Do you know? And that's how far down United have fallen over the well, last 10 Sabitzer's years. Well, really. Sabitzer has now gone to Borussia Dortmund and he's starting. So. Exactly. So, I mean, that sort of level we're That in. gap between <laughs> Bayern Munich and even the second best team in Germany in Borussia Dortmund, it's still quite, it's still there. Man United, it's not a bad place to aim to be better than Borussia Dortmund, really. Yeah, and the fact that Bayern Munich only won on the league, what, the goal difference or something last season? Yeah, so. I think it was one point on the final Gosh. day, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Sam, outgoings. Yes. Brandon Williams. What's Brandon going Williams on? is looking like he's on his way to Ipswich. Great move for all involved, really. I think Brandon Williams probably needs to get out of Manchester United, get, you know, to his level. And I think for Man United... They don't really need Brandon Williams. It's one of the areas of the squad that there's the most depth in. I think, you know, okay, fine. I wish him well. And, you know, in three years' time, knowing Man United will probably come back and score a wonder goal at Old Trafford and for Ipswich in the cup and will knock Man United out. But, yeah, wish him well and that's it, really. Yeah, I think he's got a year left on his contract, and it so it's either now or never. If you if United tell him to it six now, we'll get some money for him. If we leave it six months, he'll go on a free, and it, you know if he becomes a wonder a wonder wonder player, at least United could put a buyback clause in. I can't imagine they will, but they could put a buyback clause in. We've talked about uh, Dean Anderson. What about Maguire, McTominay, Van der Beek? So all the the stuff about them has gone quiet. Yes. The last we heard two weeks ago was Van der Beek was on his way to Sociedad. Sociedad, yeah. Maguire and McTominay were going to West Ham. Yeah. So two weeks have gone. What's going on? Well, West Ham seem to have filled those roles that they had. They've signed Ward-Prowse and Edson Alvarez to, to play central midfield. So that's probably McTominay off the table for them. And they've also signed Mavropanos from Stuttgart. So that's probably the centre-half role off the table for Harry Maguire. We sort of knew Harry Maguire's was off now. It's still, it's not, Great for Man United all around, you know. There are players there that are worth a lot of money. The Sociedad's in for Van der Beek things gone completely quiet, which is obscure. You know, Sociedad still have a gap in their cent- in the centre of their midfield. They haven't signed anyone to replace the outgoing David Silva. I do just, I still think that might happen. We just haven't seen much of it because, you know, Donny Van der Beek's not exactly a name that's on the edge of everyone's lips when they're talking about Man United. Apart from that, you know, Maguire, McTominay, I still think there might be a couple of suitors for Maguire, especially around the league. Whether they'll come in for him, whether they've got the money for him, we'll have to wait and see. And lastly, Sam, before we wrap this podcast up, George Smith, our writer, has done an article on how United might need to complete 10 more transfers, Sam. What are those 10 transfers and why is George saying we need to sign 10 more players? Yeah, well, it's ingoings and incomings and outgoings. I do think, you know, Man United fans, you could be in for a really busy end to the window. Ten Hag's got obvious holes in his squad. You know, there's probably still a desire there for another striker. Martial may be going out. You know, you're looking at a lot of players that, that you'd like to get rid of on loan. Bailly's still not left. You're looking at a lot of the players that we've discussed here today. And, you know, a goalkeeper leaving, a goalkeeper coming in, Maguire, McTominay, Van der Beek. You're looking at Bailly, you're looking at young players even on like the very fringes. You're looking at your Alvaro Alvaro Fernandez's, who's going to be pretty much third choice left back. There is a lot of players that Man United still need to trim their squad down and replace with actual quality that's going to make a difference to this season. And I think... After the first two games of the season, Eric Tanog's not going to be over the moon with how his how his team is looking. Yep, and very very lastly, there was a rumor today that um, Mason Greenwood could be on his way to Stephen Gerrard's team. Stephen Gerrard has rubbished that report, posting on his Instagram with the word "fake news" across the article, which linked him in the first place. So that's it, Sam. Yeah, we're under an hour. We We've are got first through. first time. We've got time for everything. under an hour, but we have had the fire alarm. We've yes. had we have had some caveat to uh, to this podcast, but we hope everybody has enjoyed it. It's been a bit more of a subdued um, podcast because there hasn't been that much to really discuss in in as much depth, and I haven't had any 
crazy stories to tell this week no confrontations you know no no daft stories to uh to bring up i've not i've not been tied to a chair by my kids on summer holidays so i'm uh no we're all good we're in a good place aren't we sam yeah. so we're back we hope that you've enjoyed the pod we enjoyed this sort of update midweek don't forget that the uh, mainline manchester's red podcast will be back on friday with the likes of samuel lucas Stephen railston and Ortai marshall and then sam and i'll be back next week um, we won't be in the studio because I am down in Bournemouth. Um, got to uh, got a family family uh, event to go to, so I'll be working remotely next week. So if we do do a podcast, I will take my microphone, but let me know what you want to do. And that's that's it from me. But Sam, when are we next going to hear from you? We know we've got the Manchester Red Pod on Friday, but obviously United play Nottingham Forest at the weekend. What have you got lined up for the listeners? Yes, I will be back on Saturday to go over the game, listen to Eric Ten Hogg's press conference, and we'll be back next week, obviously, for another midweek Man United. Right, thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate the feedback. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, tweet us, follow us, abuse us, do whatever you want. We'll be back regardless next week. Tara. <laughs>